Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were sworn into office yesterday with a call for unity. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America when we've acted together. We'll talk about the inauguration, what's next, and what the prominence of Californians in the new administration could mean for the state. Then at 9.30, President Biden has a plan to slow the spread of COVID-19, which includes getting 100 million Americans vaccinated in his first 100 days. Epidemiologist Nicholas Christakis will share his take on the plan, and he'll talk about his new book, Apollo's Arrow, which lays out how and why humans tend to respond the way they do to pandemics, and what happens when pandemics end. That's all next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were sworn into office yesterday, and the president got right to work signing 17 executive orders, many of them aimed at rolling back Trump policies. The new administration faces extreme challenges from far-right radicals and the pandemic to a failing economy and foreign cyber attacks. And joining me to talk about the inauguration, calls for unity, and what it means for California that so many state politicians are now in prominent national positions are Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Good morning, Marisa. Morning, Michael. Good to have you back with us. And we also want to welcome back Shannon Pettypiece, who is senior White House reporter for NBC News Digital. Good to have you with us as well. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Thank you. And I'd like to just begin by saying it was quite a historic day yesterday with the swearing in not only of, the, of a former vice president, but a new vice president who was not only the first woman, but the first woman of color to occupy that office. There was indeed a lot of pomp and pageantry, pageantry with uh, three former presidents in attendance, but uh, not the outgoing one and no real assaults on the Capitol. It was well fortified and certainly well guarded. Uh, but Marisa, let's stop there. I mean, uh, to an extent, there was certainly a lot of talk on the dark web and everything about going after different, not only state capitals, but the capital where the inauguration was taking place. But fortunately, things were peaceful. Yeah, it, it's it's a strange, you know, time. I mean, I think there's always some fear of a security risk at an event like this, right? I mean, I know that they were very concerned with Obama's inauguration. Um, but I think that as a parent, I mean, I was watching this with my kids and I had my remote at the ready because you're worried. What if something happens that I don't want my children to see? Um, so it is strange times, although I was actually reflecting later, you know, when they had the, the nighttime kind of in, in lieu of these inaugural balls, they had all these musical performances and different folks talking, including the three presidents, former presidents who were there. And um, 
it's kind of like the conventions in some ways, you know, Michael, this is probably a disappointment for people in Washington, D.C., but it's better TV in some ways for those of us across the nation because it's also well choreographed and you can actually see everything. It was indeed well choreographed. And when you think about that wonderful poem, uh, The Hill We Climb by Los oh, Angeles wow, yeah. black poet Amanda Gorman or the extraordinary rendering of the national anthem by Lady Gaga, it was quite, a, quite an extravagant and remarkable uh, and well orchestrated indeed presentation. Uh, I was also thinking about the fact, and I just had to mention this, that having Garth Brooks there seemed really a kind of, kind of stroke of genius because he's a big fan of country people, and he certainly, uh, I mean, country people are a big fan of his. And he sang Amazing Grace, which not only is a civil rights song, but it's a song with its roots back, uh, well, written by an abolitionist who started out as a slave trader. And I want to talk with both of you about what uh, President-elect Biden, let's not call him President-elect anymore, he's President Biden, had to say about civil rights and particularly about racial justice. But I want to begin by talking about the main theme of his talk yesterday. And uh, Shannon, that gets right to unity. Um, President Biden making it clear that he wants healing, he wants unity, uh, and wants to forge it across pretty, not only extreme partisan lines, but partisan lines that include those who are questioning his legitimacy and, of course, those who are about to embark on a trial. Right. Well, you know, one way it sounds like he is going to be able to not just talk about this, but actually achieve some sort of unity is first just taking down the temperature on the rhetoric and not inciting division um, would be a change of pace from the last administration. But as far as creating unity, you know, I spent you know four years in Trump world, <laughs> talked to a lot of Republicans, a lot of Trump report, uh, Trump supporters. And you know what I've heard from them yesterday and continued to hear today is they want to see some action that shows he is trying to do something to reach out to the other side, the other team. They don't necessarily see that yet. And they feel Republicans and Trump supporters feel like they, they do appreciate the talk and they would like to see a country that is less divided, where people have less animosity towards each other based on their political opinions. But they are looking for some sort of <clears throat> policy sign. And what we saw from Biden on his first day, and we can talk about this a little bit more, was a lot of undoing of the hallmarks of the Trump presidency the, introduce, the introduction of an immigration bill, which is really the third rail of politics. It's kind of you know one of the, the key issues for Republicans. And so they're still looking to, sh to see some sort of actual compromise on policy issues or agenda items. That's what they feel like they want to see um, and not just talk. That's what I've been hearing in the past 24 hours. Well, here's what uh, President Biden said yesterday about starting anew. Let's hear this cut. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. 
And certainly, Marisa, that last sentence was a direct salvo out against the Trump administration. I think it's fairly easy to deduce. But I'm wondering about, uh, again, the partisan lines here, particularly when it comes to calls that uh, President Biden made for racial justice and a promise to make greater racial equity really uh, a centerpiece of his administration. And I mention that because I was looking at some recent polls, and I know people are getting very distrustful of polls, but Democrats were polled and asked what is the most important issue to them now, and 16% said racial justice, 65% said COVID, according to this poll. Only 1% of the Republicans said racial justice, 25% said the coronavirus. So, I mean, even that kind of reflects the sort of gap that we're talking about here, the chasm, if you will. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be Joe Biden's big uh, challenge. I mean, obviously, he ran on a platform. He won on a platform um, with was very different from that, which under which Trump governed the last four years. So I think that there's obviously a difference between, you know, sort of taking down the temperature, changing the rhetoric, um, seeing where there are common places to work together. But that's also going to take two sides. And I don't think we entirely know how Mitch McConnell and other Republicans um, are going, you know, to react to some of these bills that he's already sending over to Congress. Um, you know, it, it, it is obviously, um, I think, a little genuine, you know, for, I think, Republicans to expect him not to be doing the things that he campaigned on. I mean, that's the whole point of elections, right? But um, it's certainly, I think, you know, the tone that was struck yesterday was just so different. And I think you saw that um, in everything from, you know, the way that the people on the stage were interacting to each other and, and really just the content of that speech and, and all of the other elements they brought in um, from, you know, the poet laureate through the night into the musical acts and all the things that were really, as we said, choreographed um, and meant to show, you know, a certain, not just sort of policy angle, but I mean, the fact that Throughout the night, you had uh, the new president and his entire family wearing masks in the Oval Office. I mean, everything, I think, was very thought out when it comes to the message they're trying to send. Well, let's talk about, uh, with you, Shannon Pettypiece, the executive orders uh, that the president put out. You mentioned, for example, uh, undoing the Trump administration's uh, immigration policies. Uh, also, we ought to mention preserving DACA. And there is... Uh, I suppose a great deal of controversy in that, particularly when it comes to the partisan lines that have been drawn. Uh, we've got uh, also an order to reverse the Muslim ban from the seven Muslim countries and an order that non-citizens uh, essentially be included in the census. And one can go through the whole list here, but when you do, it reflects on a new day and a new dawn for this administration, which is very much against a lot of what the Republicans stand for. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you know, I don't think there's necessarily an expectation among Republicans that a Democrat's not going to be a Democrat. They know there's going to be issues they are going to disagree on and fight over a, a lot of them. Um, you know, I think they might like to see something that has that we can start on with a little bit more bipartisan support. I mean, it's almost become a cliche, but people bring up infrastructure, you know, but that is one issue where you have some bipartisan support. Um, this COVID relief package. Uh, that's something uh, that has not actually been introduced yet, but Biden has outlined to, to get additional funding for the pandemic um, and pandemic response. That's something where you can find some bipartisan support there. Everybody can agree on wanting to bring the pandemic under control. But yet, you know, Joe Biden is not wasting any time in trying to undo as much of the Trump legacy as he can, whether it is, you know, you mentioned a few examples there, but um, it even goes further in 
rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, um, you know, stopping the Trump administration's progress to pull out of the WHO, stopping construction of the wall immediately. Um, and uh, so, I mean, well, and that's one of the things that, you know, President Trump wasn't able to get through much legislation um, because he never really figured out how to work with Congress. So he did a lot by executive order and directive. Well, that means it's real easy to undo by executive order and directive. And so that's why it has been so easy and, and will continue to be easy for Biden to undo a lot of President Trump or former President Trump's accomplishments because uh, so many of them were done just by the swipe of a pen, which means they can be undone by the swipe of a pen. And there's a lot that's been undone, including canceling the Keystone XL pipeline and including uh, rescinding the 1776 commission, the challenge right. the New York Times 1619 uh, report about slavery uh, that was going into school curricula. Let me uh, read some comments that are coming in. And by the way, if you have some thoughts about the inauguration, we do want to hear from you. Uh, real question is, are you optimistic about President Biden's calls for unity and healing. You can give us a call now. We invite you to do that. The number to call is 866-733-6786. Join us, please, toll free at 866-733-6786 or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Pam writes, I had no expectations of the proceedings yesterday other than starting a new chapter. I find myself moved by the event, probably relief from a dark four years. Hearing a measured, calm voice speaking of unity was so refreshing. And Robert writes, the next necessary step towards unity is for Republicans to acknowledge and repudiate the toxic lie that inspired the attack on our Capitol and is still riling up fellow Republicans today, namely the odious falsehood that the election was stolen. It is the ultimate chutzpah for Republicans, particularly those who voted to overturn the results of the Electoral College after the insurrection, to claim that impeachment is divisive when they continue to propagate this core lie, give me a break. We'll hear more of your comments and we'll take your calls when we return. Again, you can join us toll free. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Talking with Marisa Lagos of KQED and Shannon Pettypiece of NBC News Digital. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. If you want to weigh in on the inauguration and let us know your reactions to it or whether you're optimistic about President Biden's calls for unity and healing, you can join us now at our toll-free number. It's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. A listener named Namiko writes, unity has to come from both sides. I would like to hear what Republicans and Trump supporters are doing to promote the unity that they are demanding from the other side. Here is California's own Kamala Harris, yesterday's inauguration. Here we stand, we're 108 years ago at another inaugural. Thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, 
We marked the swearing in as the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Yeah, that was obviously not Kamala Harris, that was President Biden, but I wanted to make sure that we heard that cut about Kamala Harris because I wanted to talk to you, Marisa, briefly just about the, the real sense of presence of California political figures uh, in the Biden administration, not only to mention Kamala Harris, but obviously Nancy Pelosi. Now I've got Alex Padilla and I've got uh, Javier Becerra, uh, I've got uh, Janet Yellum. I mean, the list goes on. This is, in fact, in many people's minds, uh, uh, indicative of the fact that this administration is going to be looking toward California as a kind of paradigm, and particularly on environmental issues. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and not just that, Isabel Guzman from the um, business administration here was appointed. Um, I think that this is a real moment for California. We've been kind of in the cold for <laughs> the last four years, to put it mildly. Um, you know, our, our governor and, and President Trump sparred quite publicly at times, although I think Newsom tried to keep things um, cooler than than maybe some other governors did. Um, obviously, mayors speaking out against him. I mean, Libby Schaff had that huge uh, thing over immigration and customs enforcement. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, obviously having Kamala Harris in the White House is huge for California, having Nancy Pelosi with the speaker's gavel. Um, but I think that um, actually, it could be that people like Javier Becerra um, bring as much or more as some of those other folks, just because being in charge of an agency that big during the middle of a pandemic uh, is so important. And I mean, I think it's interesting, um, you know, speaking of the issues that I don't think we're going to see sort of a meeting of the minds on, you know, Becerra has been a huge advocate of a woman's right to choose. We already saw Dr. Fauci this morning uh, say that the administration is rolling back. Um, I think it's called the Mexico City Rule, which essentially bans foreign um, uh, organizations who are funded by the United States from even mentioning abortion. So, yeah, a lot happening here. And I think the question is, um, you know, can can Biden learn from both the good things California has done, especially around things like climate and environment, but also from our mistakes? Um, the, the LA Times had a great story about the fact that we, you know, have a lot of really innovative ideas here. And obviously, this is not a perfect place. And we have a lot of challenges that have grown even bigger over the past year during this pandemic and recession. So um, I think, you know, I don't think having Kamala Harris as vice president means California is going to get everything it wants all the time. You know, she's got to represent the entire nation. But it's certainly just such a different approach that we're going to see, I think, from the top down um, and, and, and a much friendlier one toward a blue state like this. And let me bring in some callers. We'll begin with you, Nalayini in San Jose. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, yes, my comment is I really enjoyed yesterday's very peaceful transition and inauguration. Um, my question is, well, if you want our well-being, we also need to take care of everybody else's well-being. And do people and all the congressional representatives who voted against certifying President Biden really understand that? Because there was a congresswoman from Orange County, Kim, uh, who was asked that question, and she really evaded that answer. She didn't answer that. How can you reach out when you certified people, uh, against voting for President Biden? So where is everybody's well-being versus my own? <laughs> well, I thank you for that comment, Nalini. Good to hear from you. I'm going to go right to another caller and hear what Rai has to say here. Rai, join us. You're on the air. Good morning. I'm interested to know what the um, guest thinks, what, what Trump administration policies Will the Biden administration not change? Shanna Pettypiece. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
you know, uh, probably the ones that are harder to change, uh, the tax policy, tax cuts. Uh, I mean, at some point, I know there has been discussion among Democrats during the campaign, uh, among you know now President Biden about trying to reverse repeal some of the Trump administration tax cuts. As I was saying a minute ago, that's something that's going to have to go through Congress to change because they changed it in the first place. And there's only going to be so many legislative issues that they are going to be able to get through um, in the first two years. And then we'll see if they have, um, you know, Democrats still have the majority. So, you know, when it comes to the tax front, I think, yeah, that's probably one of them. Um, but, you know, that's a really good question. And uh, it so far, obviously, there is so much, uh, there has been so much, you know, disagreement on almost every policy issue between the two sides um, that it's really hard to see what might be left after four years. <laughs> uh it's a kind of stumbling uh, block at this point uh, in terms of bringing the two sides together or bringing that kind of unity that the president spoke about, wouldn't you say, Shannon? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I guess, you know, part of it is obviously, you know, Democrats and Republicans are going to disagree on issues. It's going to come, this unity is going to come down to can they find the middle ground, whether it is criminal justice reform or gun legislation, um, some sort of, you know, uh, you know um, going back to healthcare and trying to expand healthcare, whether it's tax policy, are they going to be able to find the middle ground? Um, starting with immigration, which was a bill that, the, that President Biden introduced yesterday, uh, is an interesting place. You know, Republicans are so strongly affirmed uh, against any sort of, you know, amnesty, quote unquote, pathway to citizenship, whatever you would call it. So many of the issues in there are, are issues that Republicans are very strongly against. But can they take this immigration bill as a starting point for Democrats and find a middle place where maybe you get to um, preserving DACA or creating a pathway to citizenship for the dreamers and just focus on that one group. I mean, I think this is going to be really interesting to see what happens with this specific piece of legislation. And same thing with Biden's COVID relief package. You know, he started off with a relatively low number compared to what some Democrats were asking for. You know, the White House officials have acknowledged they're probably not going to get everything they want in there. So can they get to a middle ground? We have seen some examples over the past year or so where Republicans and Democrats were able to get to the middle ground, even if it was really ugly on things related to the pandemic. But there really weren't any other major issues where Republicans and Democrats were able to find that middle ground. Like when you think back to some sort of gun reform legislation where it felt like people all generally saw things the same way, but they couldn't, the two sides couldn't give up what they needed to give up to get to a compromise in the middle. That's going to have to happen if we want to get any legislation. And I think that's going to be the test that we're going to look for in the next six to nine months. Like, can they negotiate with one another now? And again, Shannon Pettypiece, a senior White House reporter for NBC News Digital. Here's Kathy who says, I see two nonpartisan paths toward real unity, free flowing, affordable mental health care for all and policies and programs that powerfully address poverty and income inequality. And some more comments that are coming in here from uh, 
Listeners, let me read this from Fernanda, who says, I'm not a religious person, but yesterday as I was glued to my TV set for much of the day, I actually felt myself being healed. I feel like the last four years, many of us have felt like abused children with an unloving guardian and have had to cover our wounded hearts to survive. Last night, my heart softened for the first time in four years. And Joe writes, I'm still reeling from Amanda Gorman's poem. I printed it out so I could read it and study it. Her mastery of words is beyond my comprehension, a life-changing moment. And from David, we have racial equity means nothing because there is no mention of American descendants of slavery or people who descend from chattel slavery. Also, no specific black legislation or policy, although lots of policies for other groups of people. Please don't lump descendants of slavery with everyone else. We are a unique group. I'm not hopeful about Harris at all. You can put your opinion in here if you care to, either by phone or by email. Let's get a phone caller. That's Rose from San Francisco. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Okay, thank you. Good. I'm calling in because I'd like to see what the guest has to say um, about this issue that I've been seeing circulating on social media, mostly with um, the younger set. And that's basically the idea that, you know, while President Biden is calling for unity between the two sides, the issues that these two sides are debating aren't always things like, you know, tax reform or tax bills or things that don't necessarily affect people directly. In fact, we're debating issues like whether or not it's all right for police officers to kill black people. Um, and and I, I'm just very curious about what she thinks about this, this idea that, you know, we can have some sort of middle ground on issues like that, because those are the issues that are really dividing these two parties. That's what we're seeing so much political uprising over in you know, the months since the George Floyd killing. And I just wanted to see what her thoughts are on that. Now, Rose, it's a thoughtful question, particularly in light of the divide, because the divide, as I've been saying, is very wide. And uh, what do you think, Marisa? Let's have you weigh in. Well, I mean, you know, I think that this actually gets to the core of a lot of the divisions. And it's, I mean, obviously, there are legitimate policy disagreements. But the rhetoric is really, I think, what has been um, in, in many ways so harmful in terms of reaching any sort of ability to come together. I mean, we saw already this morning, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, you know, slamming Joe Biden, um, using language, you know, like illegal, you know, he cares more about illegal immigrants than American citizens. I mean, things that I think Democrats just don't use that word anymore. I mean, we don't use it um, either on KQED. So I think um, it's true. There's really some fundamental differences and about um, sort of where we're starting from um, when when these conversations are happening. And I think it's it's interesting to me, you know, Biden um, campaigned, as, he's a centrist, right? He really did sort of come out as this consensus candidate out of that rough and tumble primary. But on things like questions of, say, LGBT rights, um, you know, elevating uh, the concerns of transgender people on racial equality, we're seeing him really tack uh, towards more progressive language and policies and and doing it out of the gate in a way that we've never seen before. And I think that ties in with something um, relevant, which is this question um, kind of of like, what they can get through and, and where there are areas to work together. And um, I find it just from a Strat, you know, to what Shannon was talking about, a strategy standpoint, it's interesting because you have, um, I, it seems like 
a president who learned the lessons from his vice presidency. I mean, Obama was very cautious. He really wanted to work with Republicans and find common ground. And I think that stymied some of his efforts, especially at the beginning. And what we saw yesterday was a huge stack of executive orders, um, you know, legislation already being sent over to Congress around immigration. Um, I think Biden's trying to hit the ground running and throw as much stuff out there as possible. And, and I think the way Republicans respond, um, I'm going to be watching because, you know, I think it is harder to attack when there's so much out there and you you got to pick your places as opposed to like if he was focusing on one thing a day per se. Yeah, he's going to have to pick his battles. I think that's absolutely right. He is, but so are Republicans, right? I mean, yeah. I think that, 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 that it's, a, it's a bit of a shock and awe campaign and I think it, you know, we, have, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but it certainly seems to me like he is, you know, taking the lessons um, of where the Obama administration was not successful and trying to kind of take a different approach. But I remember my uh, high school civics class putting all the emphasis on the importance of compromise and actually getting things done legislatively or from the executive point of view. He's going to go full bore ahead on an executive order enabling climate change initiatives and, you know, going back to the Paris Agreement and canceling Keystone Pipeline. These are not going to sit well with his uh, Republican legislators, but I just want to remind you, we're talking about the inauguration and the new administration with Marisa Lagos of KQED and Shannon Pettypiece of NBC News Digital. And here's David from Mill Valley. David, join us. Welcome. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm interested in, uh, there's so many carve-outs for specific groups of people, but none for mine. I'm a descendant of chattel slavery, and there's about 30 million of us. And through the pandemic, we're the most affected group as a black male. And there's a continuous continuous flattening of blackness. Um, for instance, for instance, Kamala Harris isn't a Negro, and I come from the people Martin Luther King was talking about the Negroes. And there's no carve outs or no specific language for American descendants of slavery. So, what does Biden plan to do in that, or is he going to continue to evade us? Any thoughts on that, Shannon Pettypiece? Well, he's raised here I, by well, so maybe not that maybe. specifically, but. I mean, racial inequalities is something that it doesn't appear he is going to forget about now that he's in office. That is one of the top crises that he has addressed. And there is an I mean, there was an effort in putting together the administration to make sure it was, you know, as diverse as they felt they could make it. And we've already seen in a number of these executive actions that he's taken in the first, what do I, I guess we're at exactly 24 hours now, uh, inclusion of issues, uh, the issue of race and inequality. For example, there's some executive orders he's going to sign later today on the pandemic. And one group of those is focused on how to trying to address the racial inequalities of the pandemic. So, I mean, that's going to be a focus of this administration, whether they can do anything to change the dynamics in our society, you know, that's going to be a big lift, but at least it's all of a sudden, you know, at least it's an issue that's on the agenda. And it certainly was not for four years. And I think a lot of people would argue too, that it wasn't as high on the agenda as they would have liked to see it under the Obama administration either. So will make much of a change. We'll see four years from now, but it will probably be the most effort any recent administration will have made in tackling this issue. Well, it certainly has come out high on Joe Biden's rhetoric. Uh, and, you know, the uh, black leaders uh, have 
reminded him that he owes a debt to them because they had a lot to do with not only his nomination, Jim Clyburn particularly, but also uh, the votes who turned out for him uh, from the black communities throughout the country, especially when you think about Georgia and what happened there uh, with respect to two new senators, a black and a Jewish senator, but also backing Biden. In fact, I'm wondering, Marisa, you said something about um, Kevin McCarthy using language that maybe is radioactive where Democrats are concerned, talking about illegal immigrants instead of undocumented people. Joe Biden talked about systemic racism. That's radioactive to some Republicans probably, isn't it? Oh, certainly. I mean, the, the Wall Street Journal has an op-ed about this today. I mean, I think that this, you know, this again, this is not it's not unrelated to policy, but it starts with the rhetoric. And I mean, the difference between these two administrations already couldn't be more clear. You had, you know, Trump put out this commission, 1776 commission report on Monday, um, which Joe Biden essentially, you know, disbanded with a stroke of a pen yesterday. Um, so much of the debate and divisions over the past, especially year have been really framed around this question of, of racial equality and, and, you know, who has a voice and, and what they're able to say. Um, so I, I don't think anything we're going to say is going to make that last caller happy. But I will say that I, I, I do think as somebody who's covered government for a long time, I am actually surprised to some extent by how far they've gone with the language and the the real effort to um, make a nod towards this inclusivity in a way that I, I just think regardless of whether it goes far enough for some people, it is further than I have ever seen um, a, an administration go. I think it's what President Biden means when he talks about America's soul, because that was what he reacted to so strongly against uh, with those good people uh, from both sides that President Trump spoke about in Charlottesville. Thank you, Marisa Lagos. Always good to have you. Thanks, Michael. And thank you, Shannon Pettypiece. Always good to have you as well. Thank you. Appreciate your both being with us. And we've got another segment of Forum up ahead. Stay tuned. We're going to talk to Nicholas Christakis, who is a eminent public health and epidemiology expert who's written a book called Apollo's Arrow. It's an erudite and fascinating book. And we'll talk about that as well as the pandemic. That's all up ahead. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.